We are, as I said, continuing a series that we've started early this summer uh, on June 1st called Disciple Makers. It's going to take us halfway uh, through this summer. And in this series, if you haven't been with us, we're asking this question week after week. If you're following on your notes, are we becoming disciples who make disciples? Are we becoming disciples who make disciples? After all, that was Jesus' commission to us as his church, right? Not just to become disciples who follow him and learn and grow, but then to take that and also uh, go into the world and make others uh, known and aware of the amazing gospel message that we've received uh, as his followers. Now, if you've been with us the last two weeks, the Bryans, as I like to call them, have done a great job uh, showing us through two of Jesus' parables. If you haven't missed us, we talked about the parable of the sower and the parable of the good Samaritan, that making disciples, I appreciate this, requires persistent and consistent uh, spirit-led work in our lives, And then last week, Pastor Brian Schwarberg talked about how it also requires looking for opportunities to be a neighbor to those who God has placed in our path. And this morning, I really want to just follow up those two messages and kind of ask the question, like, listen, if I'm really doing that, if I'm consistently and persistently looking for opportunities to be a a neighbor, to, to, to share with others, the question comes down to what next? I mean, let's say horror of all horrors, that God actually opens up some doors for me to make disciples. What do I do at that point? In other words, how do I go about this business of making disciples? And so that's really where I want to take us this morning. We're going to look at the how question. Now, throughout history, the church with a capital C has had two answers to the how question. They've had this strategy about how we go out into the world and make disciples. And I've shared with some of you, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and not just any pastor's kid I was an interim pastor's kid which means my dad would go to church after church you know so I grew up seeing all kinds of churches I'm telling you I've had quite an experience and I saw both of these two strategies played out in the churches that I attended the first strategy uh, that people often think about when they think about making disciples is that we are to tell people about Jesus, right? I mean, we have images of like probably standing on a street corner or just like John did in the drama here, you know, knocking on people's doors, handing out tracts or whatever. But we believe if you've come from this kind of background that we've been given the greatest message ever, which of course we have been. And our job then is to take this message into the world and tell other people about it. And I would guess uh, if you've grown up in like the 80s or like a fundamentalist church or even an evangelical church like ours, when you think about the idea of like I've got to go make disciples, you probably lean towards this idea that I've got to go tell people about Jesus, okay? Now, there's other churches that I've been a part of that when they think about making disciples, they look at Jesus and his life and his ministry, and they see him healing the sick and and caring for the poor. And so when they think about what the church should be, the church should sort of be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We, we bring this good news through acts of love and service and compassion. You could point to Matthew chapter 25 as an example of this, the parable of the sheep and goats, right? I mean, caring for the least of these. And I'm saying if you probably grew up in like a mainline church, and you know, one of the things, by the way, I love about Cherry Hills is we're just full of all different kinds of backgrounds, aren't we? And so here we come together, and we've probably uh, grown up in one other thing, but if you've grown up in a mainline church, if you're a part of Generation X or Generation Y or whatever letter you're being referred to as today, 
this honestly is probably your understanding or your lean when it comes to making disciples, right? I mean, think about the movement today towards things like social justice and oppression and, and movements against things like sex slavery and, and other things like that. I mean, this is probably your lean if you recognize one of those two, two things. And I think we all probably have a lean. Sometimes it comes down to whatever we grew up in, but other times it's just like, I, I'm drawn more to that kind of strategy when it comes to making disciples in the world. But my question for you is, which one of those is right? I mean, I, I, I want to do the, the right thing. And so my next question is, well, where do we learn to find out how to make disciples? I mean, how do we actually do this? And who better to look at than the life of Jesus, right? How did Jesus actually do this? I mean, he, if he's going to call me to become a disciple who makes disciples, I hope he kind of gave me an example of how to do that. And thankfully, he's given us an incredible example of how to make disciples. And that's what I want to do this morning. Because after all, I think you'd agree if you're following there, we should follow Jesus' strategy for making disciples. That's much better than following my strategy or the latest book out on the shelf's strategy, don't you think? Wouldn't you rather follow Jesus' strategy for making disciples? So let's take a look this morning at how he did that by turning in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, we're going to look at chapter 4 starting in verse 23, but actually what we're going to do is be flipping around a little bit in the Gospels, because gospels, I, I just want you to see this was a strategy that he employed all throughout his ministry, so just get ready uh, to be flipping around here. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can find Matthew about uh, on page 677 in the Black Bibles in the seat in front of you, and if you're still getting used to where things are, it's about two-thirds of the way back, the very first book of the New Testament. So, what is Jesus' strategy? Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. In fact, I have verse 23 printed on your notes. Don't you hate when I do that? The very first verse is printed on your notes. But let's read that out loud uh, together there. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I'll continue. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. All right, that's one example of Jesus' strategy for sharing the kingdom. Now flip over five chapters to the right. You don't have to go that far yet. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Chapter 9, verse 35. Let's see if he follows the same kind of strategy here. Verse 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's a call, again, isn't it, to go make disciples. Go out into the world. There's a harvest waiting for us. Don't just become a disciple, but go and make disciples. And then, last but not least, because I want to show you, this isn't just Matthew uh, kind of 
a Matthew thing. This is also recorded in Luke, Jesus' strategy. So turn two books to the right, uh, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. And if you're using the Black Bible, you can find this on page 723. And the reason I also want to show you this passage is because the first two show Jesus' strategy for himself of how he went and made disciples. But interestingly enough, in this passage, we're going to see it's the exact same strategy he gives his disciples. Okay, He commissions them. This is how I want you to go and do this. Luke 9, verse 1 says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out, watch these words, to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Those are very similar words to the Great Commission, aren't they? They remind us, first of all, to whom does authority belong? Jesus. Yeah, I wasn't trying to trick you there, right? It's It's always the right answer. Jesus, all authority belongs to me, he says in the, in the Great Commission. We, we can't forget that when it comes to this idea of disciple makers, right? There's no authority in myself. There's no authority in you. It belongs to him. And yet here's the miracle among miracles. He's given us his authority as his people to go into this world and make disciples. And the question is, how? I think you probably noticed a little bit of a pattern there in Jesus' strategy. Did you see it there? Several years ago, I started really looking at these verses in depth, and some of you have probably heard similar message I've given to this, because this has really become a a passion to mine. But one word began to stick out in particular as I looked at these examples of Jesus' strategy of going into the world and making disciples. And i got to be honest with you, it's not the most exciting word in the world. In fact, it's probably the second most used word in the English language. Did you see it in each of those cases? It's the word and it's the word and did you see how every time when jesus went into the world when he commissions his disciples to go into the world it wasn't like either preach or show love and compassion no it was he preached the kingdom of god and he used words to tell people and and he healed sicknesses and diseases. He cared for people and loved them. This isn't an either-or thing, as the church with a capital C has so often kind of viewed it. It's a both-and thing, right? In fact, if you're following on your notes here, here's Jesus' strategy. Jesus spoke of God's kingdom. I mean, he was unabashedly afraid to say, listen, repent. Turn from your way. Believe he spoke the truth of God's kingdom and he demonstrated it. He demonstrated it with acts of compassion and healing and love. You know, when I started looking at this years ago, I was a little taken aback. Like Jesus' strategy wasn't to draw up organizational charts of like, here's how I want to grow the church. If you do X, Y, and Z, or here's my five-year plan and my 10-year plan and my 2,000-year plan for growth. No, no, no. He kept it pretty simple, didn't he? He kept it pretty simple. He showed people and told people the gospel. In fact, if you're following on your notes, Jesus made disciples by showing and telling the gospel. That's probably familiar language to you, right? If you went to preschool, you know all about show and tell. I mean, it's like the best day of the week in preschool. It's Fridays, show and tell day. 
And show and tell, of course, is where you get to bring something that's meaningful from your home or from wherever, and you stand in front of your classmates and you show and tell them. You say, this thing that I'm showing you right now is significant and important to me for these reasons, right? Show and tell. You know, so much has that language become a part of our church's DNA. I mean, if you're new with us, you might not have heard this yet, but if you've been a part of us, you know this is language we use over and over again. In fact, on the banner, you know, when we say we want to love the Lord and love one another, and then that third piece is we want to serve the world, the next thing we say, if you look at any of our material or if you ever hear us talking about it, is we believe we serve the world best by showing and telling the gospel. By showing and telling the gospel. Where did we get that? We got it from Jesus. Jesus is a genius, if you haven't learned that by now. So instead of me making up some way to do it, or Jeff or whoever, the latest phase or craze or fad or whatever, we're going to do it how Jesus did it. And his strategy was to show and tell the gospel. It's not an either or, though, right? It's a both and. It's a both and. And for the rest of our time this morning, I'm just going to say, I'd like to get really practical with you. How, how do we do that? I mean, how do we do that when the, the moments come? Or how do we live lives that we emulate Jesus' strategy here? So that's what we're going to do. This is going to be somewhat like a workshop and, and so forth. So let's talk first about showing the gospel. Several years ago, I saw a cartoon. I tried to dig it up. I could not find it. But it was of two turtles. There's a cartoon of two turtles, and in the first scene, one of the turtles looks at his friend and says, sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice when he could just do something about it. You ever ask that question? We all have, right? I mean, why why doesn't God just intervene? Why doesn't he just do something about this? And then the next part of the comic, the other turtle looks at him and says, you know, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. That really struck me, you know, the first time I saw that. Because it's easy for me to stand on the side and say, well, why doesn't God do something? And he's like, I have done something. I have done something. I've made disciples. And you're one of them. I think Jesus always showed people the gospel uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, One of them, if you're following on your notes, is that Jesus showed to prove who he truly was. I, I was just thinking about this. Jesus made some pretty remarkable claims, didn't he? I mean, we got the four Gospels that record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record Jesus' life, and throughout those Gospels, I mean, he's just making these remarkable claims about himself, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I mean, he's referring to himself as as God, as Yahweh, as I am. Uh, Even this morning, I was reading in Matthew 9 in my time to prepare uh, for this morning, and uh, he basically tells this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Who who forgives sins? God alone forgives sins. I mean, that got the religious community in an uproar, right? And then, interestingly, what does he do to sort of prove that he really has the authority to do that? He heals the man. He heals the man. So you know that I have that kind of authority. And in a similar way, a lot of the reasons I think Jesus is showing the gospel all the time, this gospel of love, this good news, that we really have a God who cares for us and loves us and is concerned for us is to show who he truly was. He's God, and this is how God feels towards his people. John the Baptist, you know, one of the just most amazing characters in the Bible, but uh, you remember, his whole job was to prepare the way for people for Jesus. And yet he gets thrown in prison near the end of his life because he's about to be killed. And you remember, he starts having questions. 
about who Jesus really was? I mean, I would too. If I, I'm about to die because I staked everything on this guy, it's like, are you really the guy? Are you really the guy that, you know, I, I, that I sh- I'm giving my life up for? And you remember, he sends a couple of his disciples to ask Jesus that. And Jesus' response is he quotes Isaiah and he goes, go back to John and report what you see. Interesting, what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, tell, the, tell John what you're seeing. Tell him what you're seeing me do, and then he's going to know. He will know that I really am he, who I, he thought I was. Second reason Jesus often accompanied showing the gospel is because showing served to support his message. This is really important for us. Because listen, if Jesus just stood on some street corner and declared, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in Jerusalem, right? We would never, not know anything about him today. We not know anything. I mean, it's just words, words, words. But he used showing acts of compassion and kindness and love to back up those words, to prove that those words were really true. Friends, like I said, he's a genius here. And his strategy is exactly what we should be doing as his church. You see, I'm convinced today, and maybe you'd agree with me, nod your head if you think this, but I think 99 times out of 100 in our culture today, our culture that has grown so cynical to things of faith and truth and Jesus and all these kind of things, 99 times out of 100, we are going to have to earn a hearing. Does that make sense? We're going to have to show people that our lives have really been changed by this Jesus person before they're ever going to want to hear anything come out of our mouths about him. I mean, have you experienced that? You know, don't just talk words. Show me that he's actually done something in your life. This came home to me about eight years ago. I was on a mission trip in El Salvador. I had this awesome privilege to go uh, down there. And I hope that you've prayed as a family or as an individual, you know, Maybe God wants you to go on a mission trip sometime because I'm telling you, you're going to learn things that you just can't learn in your everyday normal life here in the United States. But here we are in this remote place in El Salvador, and I've shared this before, but uh, this is one of those memories that will always be imprinted on my mind. We show up at this house, and we're going to be there the entire week building this family, this poor family, a house. And so there we are building, when all of a sudden, you know, this house kind of had a little bit of hill up the driveway. All these teenage boys show up. Now, in El Salvador, there's not much for teenage boys to do. They're done with school, and yet they can't find any work. And so what do they do? They hang out and be teenagers. And there they were, hanging out, being teenagers. They were kind of making fun of the white people who came, you know, gringos and all that kind of thing, laughing. They're having a great time. So that's like Monday. Wednesday come. I mean, they're coming every day. There's nothing else for them to do. I mean, we're the entertainment. (laughs) Wednesday comes. And they, they start making their way a little bit closer down to us. I mean, they're still not engaged at all, but they're just, you know, this is, this is what we have to do this week, so we might as well be down here. Friday comes, and I'll never forget it. They actually start helping us build this person's house. Now, that is like a miracle in of itself. You have to understand that in that culture. I mean, even the family we were building it for were like, whoa, this is crazy. And by the end of Friday, the leader, the ringleader of this group, looked at me, we were building something together, he looked at me and he said, why are you here? And I don't know a whole lot of Spanish, but I did know why I was there, and that was, I said to him, por Cristo, I'm here for Christ. 
I want you to understand something. It took an entire week, an entire week of us just showing up, of, of building this person's house, of, you know, just giving ourselves away in love for him to even care, to ask me the question of why I was there. And I think increasingly that's just how it's going to be. That's just how it's going to be. Now listen, i got to warn some of us here who grew up on that side of it's all tell, 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 okay? We don't show acts of love and compassion just to manipulate an opportunity that didn't tell people, right? You don't muster it up and fake it. Jesus never faked acts of love and compassion, nor did he ever use it to manipulate a situation. He just did it because he loved people. And he wanted to see people whole and well because that's how God feels towards us. Yes, spiritually, he cares about us big time, but he also cares about us physically. I hope, in fact, you notice the words in Matthew 9, 36. You probably don't have it open still, but it, it said, Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw how lost and afflicted and hurt they were. That word compassion in the Greek is the strongest word you can use for pity. And it is only used to describe Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, when he saw a broken body, a broken human being, he felt pity. And this compassion overflowed in his ministry where he showed people, listen, this is how much God really cares for you. And he'd heal them, and he'd come alongside of them, and he'd make them feel worthwhile in a culture that was making them feel worthless, right? But notice, without manipulation, what began to happen as Jesus loved people this way? Matthew 4.24, I love these words. It says, the news about him spread all over Syria. Another translation says, Jesus' fame spread. Isn't that interesting? Somehow, when we show acts of love and compassion, news about him spreads. News about him spreads. People aren't used to that. That's why, right? They're not used to someone saying, I'm God, and this is how I feel towards you. And they're not used to us today saying, we've been changed by God. And this is how we feel about you. We care about meeting your physical needs. If we want Jesus' fame to spread... Do we still want that? It's going to take showing the gospel in our communities, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our world. You know, that's why, uh, real quickly, we partner with seven different ministries right here in the uh, Springfield area. We call it the Springfield Action Team, right? These local ministries that are meeting people's physical needs in this community. We want to be a church, don't we, that shows people God's love. And there's ways for you to get involved in that. But it doesn't just have to be a specific ministry. It can happen in your everyday life, right? Bring in a meal to a neighbor who just had surgery. Visiting someone in a nursing home who's lonely, Building a house for someone on a, a short-term mission trip. I mean, these, I could list hundreds of other ways where we can just have eyes that look with compassion towards other people who are hurting and just need someone to come alongside of them and show them God is love. God is love. And I'm telling you, that's when a cynical world is going to finally take notice and say there's something different. There's something different about that. They're not doing it for manipulation, they're not doing it for any personal gain. Why are you like that? Or why are you here? As my friend in El Salvador asked, right? Why are you here? 
Jesus described this very thing in Matthew 5, 16, right in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Now, this is interesting. How do we do that? Do we just tell? No, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's my challenge. If we really want to become disciples who make disciples, our lives better be proof. Our lives better be proof of that. Shouldn't we be able to show Jesus in our everyday lives? St. Francis, some of you know him, once said, be ready to tell people about Jesus. And if you have to, use words. I'd say about 10 or 11 years ago, I'm sure some of you remember this, uh, I did a message where I gave each person in the, in the church a piece of duct tape. And I asked this question, if your mouth were duct tape shut, like, I mean, literally, you just had to walk around with this piece of duct tape all, all week. Would people still know? Would people still know what you believe? Would people still know that Jesus Christ has impacted and influenced your life? We must be people who show the gospel. But it's not just a either-or thing. It's a both-and thing. And so we come to the second half of Jesus' strategy, which is that we are also to be people who unabashedly tell others about Jesus' message of repentance and belief and forgiveness. Can you imagine if I showed up on preschool day, Friday at preschool for show and tell, and I just did a show and show? <laughs> I mean, they'd be like, oh, that's cool. But I don't know why, why that's significant to you. What does that mean for your life? And yet, so often, and I'm just going to be blunt with you, this, this is me, so often I just think, if I just show enough, if I just show and show and show and show, finally they're just going to get it. They'll, they'll be enlightened. But listen, almost every time there comes a moment when the question is going to be asked, you know, why are you here? Why are you showing me this? Why are you bringing this kind of love and compassion, and we need to be ready to share, ready to tell. Read 1 Peter 3, uh, 15 out loud with me on your notes there. Would you, it says? But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be ready. I don't have to look any further than my own life to know the number one reason I am not ready or the number one reason I don't do this is fear. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid I won't know what to say. I'm afraid I'll make a fool of myself. I'm afraid they'll ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I'm afraid I'm inadequate. I, I'm afraid of being around people who aren't like me. Here's one I've, I've used. I'm afraid of something definitive as Jesus Christ is the only way and the truth and the life in a culture that doesn't want to hear anything about that right now. So too many times this fear just paralyzes me from ever sharing. And I was thinking about this. Just just came to me at the last service. You know, if Jesus' strategy is to show and tell, and if our whole idea here is that we want to be disciples who make disciples, you know, Satan's like totally opposed to that, Right? I mean, be ready for it. And he's, he's like, here's my strategy, fear. Enjoy it. 
Don't ever do it because you'll never be good enough. You're not adequate enough. You'll never know enough of the answers, right? I mean, if I'm Satan, I'm like, I don't want any more disciples. So I'm going to throw everything I have at these people. And number one, I'm pretty sure he throws at us is fear. And so we don't do anything. Can you relate to that? Can you relate? Part of what we've been trying to say, though, week after week in this series is we don't have to make this as intimidating as we make it sometimes. We don't. In fact, I've learned three things that have been really helpful for me when it comes to sharing my faith, with telling my faith with others. Can I just share these with you? This is where we're going to get kind of practical. First of all, just pay attention to where God is already working. I've said this before. I think Brian, one of the Brian's said this as well. But listen, again, you can't force this as much as we want to sometimes, right? I mean, I know you want your sister really to know Christ. Or that family member, or that neighbor, or that coworker. I do too. But every time I've tried to force it, I, I like move backwards. So you've got to pay attention to where God might be working. I reference Acts 16, I believe, in your notes there. Interesting passage. Paul's on his second missionary journey, and they, it says literally they wanted to go to Asia to bring the good news to Asia. Well, that's a good thing, right? Of course God's going to be like, go. But Luke, who wrote Acts, gives this interesting little uh, verse. He says, the Holy Spirit kept them from going. And so they went somewhere else. Man, I wish I'd listened to the Holy Spirit more because sometimes I go places and he's like, oh, no, no. Oh. There he goes. Forcing it again, trying to be the Holy Spirit in that person's life. But the flip side of that verse is if we're open, he will lead us. He will lead us to places he is working. And I'm just going to get as simple for you right now as I possibly can. You're like, oh, well, how do I know? Or what do I do? Or all that. Hey, listen, have you ever just tried simply praying before you go somewhere that God would open your eyes to see where he might be working? I wish I could stand up here and tell you, that's, that's my life. Every time I go to the gym, I'm like, Lord, help me to see what you're doing here. Every time I come home from work in my own house, right, I'm like, Lord, I want to be open to making disciples today. I'd get a D at the best at this, honestly. But I have noticed, maybe you have too, when I actually do pray that, when I actually do spend time and saying, Lord, open my eyes to see what you might be doing here or here or here or here, God's like, I? You sure? Because that guy you've been playing basketball with a year, he's been waiting I've been working on him. So he's going to ask you a question out of nowhere today. And you're going to be like, what? Where did that come from? Oh, you remember you prayed for that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, just, just pray. God, where are you working? Where are you working at home? Where are you working in my neighborhood? But that has to be consistent. I mean, that, it just has to be a part of our everyday uh, norms. That leads to the second thing about telling our story, which is once the Holy Spirit does open up a door, there comes a time when we actually have to say something, right? He asks the question, now what? Now what? Now, there have been thousands of books written about this. You can go to the Christian bookstore, right? Thousands of books, like how to share your faith and five simple steps. And I think that's what makes this way more intimidating. It's like once I read all thousand of those books, I'll be ready to go. 
Now listen, can we just make this as simple? And I'm not saying it's simplistic, but for a start, here's what I would just say to us. This has really helped me. Learn to tell two stories. Just learn to tell two stories. Yours and the Gospels. Yours and the Gospels. All right, let's talk about telling our stories. Have you noticed today that people don't want to hear so much about truth or the 52 reasons why the Bible's reliable or here's why you should believe? I mean, they don't want to hear that, but they are open and willing to hear how Jesus has impacted your personal life. Isn't that interesting? I mean, they, they don't want to hear other things, but they'll hear, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. That's how Jesus impacted your life. And so that leads me to believe we better be pretty good and ready to share our story because those opportunities could perhaps come. And so how do we learn to share our stories? Well, if you're following again, here's what it comes down to. Just focus on your before, encounter, and after. Your before, encounter, and after. In other words, like, listen, what was my life like before I met Christ? How did I encounter Christ? How did I actually meet Christ? And what has my life been like since I met Christ? Now, if you're like me and you came to faith at a young age, let me encourage you maybe to think about how would you describe the time when your faith really began to thrive? Think about that instead of maybe the decision when you were six years old, but like when you just knew this is what I'm going to give my life away to. I mean, what was your life like before that? How did you encounter Christ? What was it like after that? In fact, let me just share how I would tell my story. I don't have this scripted. I don't have this written out. I mean, it's, it's going to stumble and bumble. I'm going to say um and all that kind of stuff, but basically I would say I accepted Christ at a young age, but I never believed that I measured up to God. I was never good enough, and I tried so hard, but the Christian life just left me feeling defeated. But then I understood one day, finally, that what I was trying to do, Christ had already done for me. And now I live with much more of a sense of freedom and a sense of identity that I am God's son. I'm not trying to earn his approval. He's already given me his approval in the sacrifice of Jesus. That's all I'd say. I'd keep it short. I'd keep it simple. In fact, I implore you, don't get long-winded with your story. Don't tell your weird God stories, right? (laughs) Don't act superior. That that one, (laughs) you want to talk about losing an opportunity. Oh, you don't know Jesus? Well, let me tell you, my experience on the mountaintop... And here's the last one. It's like, keep your story true. I was, I was one of those kids, man. Like, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Yawn. Boring. Some of these guys would come to our youth group and be like, you know, oh, I was into drugs and blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I got to add something. I got to add something to make my story more exciting, right? Now, listen. Sometimes God loves using, humanly speaking, the unspectacular to do something spectacular in someone else's life, right? In fact, I don't, I don't view my story that way anymore. I mean, God is so faithful in my life. That's something uh, for me to be able to celebrate as well, okay? So before, after, and you'll, you'll be surprised. That might uh, spark, uh, spark something in someone's life. If you turn over on the back of your notes, if you've never done that, 
I know some of you have done that. We've talked about this before. But if you've never done that, there's a very simple worksheet for you. I'm telling you, it won't take a whole lot of time. We're talking three or four sentences for you to be equipped and prepared to tell someone your story. I wanted to take some time this morning to do it because last time I asked you guys if you did homework, I got like three people who raised their hand. But I've come to the point, like, listen, if this is really something you believe, I mean, if God's really called you to be a disciple who makes disciples, you'll do it. You'll do it sometime uh, this week. How's that for a guilt trip, right? (laughs) It's not meant to be a guilt trip, but I'm just saying I can't force you to do this right now, figure out this. If that's something God impresses on you this week, do it. Write your story, and and you'll just... Don't, don't worry about getting it word for word. Think about three key words or, or the, that kind of thing, all right? And here's the beauty of all this. Once we learn to tell our stories, if you're following, God often uses our faith stories to open doors to help tell his story. To tell his story. And what's God's story? Well, if you take a look at human history, throughout the history of human beings, human beings have always tried to develop these faiths, these systems that answer this question, how do we, as fallen, sinful human beings, attain and reach a holy, perfect God? And so all these different faith systems, or you could call them all these different religions, began to develop. But at the core of each of these religions stands this idea, if you're just a little bit better than the other person, if you're just good enough, if you give more money, if you pray more, if you do this work, if you do that and that, hopefully at the end of your life, your good will outweigh your bad. And you'll attain heaven or enlightenment or whatever it's called in that faith system. Okay, that's pretty much what has developed throughout human history. I know I'm making that incredibly simple, but really, get to the bottom of world religions or the New Age movement or cults for yourself. Get to the bottom of forms of Christianity. I mean, I've warned you about this, right? There are some Christian churches that teach this. Like we can reach God. We can be good enough in order to attain our salvation with our own efforts. But biblical Christianity says, listen, no amount of your effort is ever going to allow you to reach perfection and holiness, which is what God requires of us. But because God is love and because God wanted a relationship with us, he did it. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross because he took upon our sin upon himself so that we might have new life in him. That's God's story. It's not about doing. It's about what he's already done. If you're on your notes there, unlike every other religion, Christianity teaches that God reached out to us in his love. So you can confidently tell your friends, listen, or your family, you don't have to work so hard. I mean, you're never going to get there, right? The most famous verse in the Bible puts it this way. Let's read it out loud together on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's God's story michelle talked about it. it's his story of our redemption our rescue and there's no higher honor in life that we get to be message bearers of this incredible news in our neighbors our workplaces our homes you can confidently tell your friends listen all your working is needless 
Stop trusting in yourself and stop, start trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, the question you're having right now is, well, how do I explain that? You know, to one of my own friends, in my own words, how, how do I actually uh, do that? I mean, let's just say you just shared your story, and they're like, tell me more about that. Tell me more about how Jesus has, has changed your life. I mean, what do you do right now, right? Panic, panic. But I want to keep this as simple as possible. You see a couple pictures on your notes there? This doesn't have to be more complicated than we make it. So you got one on the right here. Let's say you're at Panera, you're having coffee with your friend, you tell them your story, and they're like, tell me more about this Christianity thing. You're like, all right, take a napkin, you take out a pen, and you go, oh, let me just explain it to you really simply. Many of you know this illustration already, nothing new, but you could just draw this. It's called a chasm, and uh, this is us, you would say. This is God. And there's this chasm between us and God. And throughout human history, we, as human beings, we've been trying to find our way over to God. And, and so you could even ask them at this point, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, like, we're not, we're not like perfect, right? I mean, is, is your marriage perfect? No. Are your kids perfect? No. <laughs> is your life everything you expected it to be? No. Well, why? Well, because we're not perfect. I mean, we have sin uh, in our lives. And the question people have been asking for years is, how do I get here? Right? And so we've tried to build our bridges. We, we've tried to be good enough. We've tried religion. We've tried praying more. We've tried whatever. Try to get them engaged with all the things they might have tried. And you say, listen, here's, here's basically what the Bible teaches. It teaches that instead of us ever being able to get there, which we never will, Jesus Christ on the cross bridged the chasm between us and God forever. For God so loved the world, right? We just read it. He sent his only son so that we might have eternal life. And they'll probably ask some more questions after that. And that's when you rely on the Holy Spirit to go, okay, I'll try to answer these the best I can. Another illustration, I like this one personally better because I don't think necessarily the question people are asking anymore is, well, explain Christianity to me. It's more like explain why that's different. Right? Explain why Christianity is different from what everybody else believes or from what I believe and so forth. So i got to keep these simple. I would draw like a mountain. And it's, it's the same idea, but basically you'd say, so for, the, for centuries, uh, human beings have been trying to reach the pinnacle of God or enlightenment or, or whatever it's called you know, in, uh, in today's world for, for centuries. And so the way we do that is we start down here and we get our backpacks on. Right? And then we fill them up with all kinds of good things, and we start up the trails, you know, we prayer, giving, whatever, all these good things that we think we're supposed to do, but we discover it's just too high. I mean, if you know anything about your life, I mean, I, I, I'm starting off pretty good in one day, but within two hours or so, I'm uh, back down the hill, back down the mountain, back down the mountain. But here's what biblical Christianity says, of course, right? It says, God knew we would never get there. So he decided to come off the peak of the mountaintop, put us on his back, and carry us up. And that happened on the cross of Jesus. Now at that moment, are they going to ask you questions that you don't know the answer to? Anybody? Are they going to ask you questions that you don't know the answer to? Yep. But I'll just say this. This is what's cool. That's what discipleship's all about. It's not about knowing the answers. It's about at that moment saying, well, I don't know the answer to that, but would you want to learn about that together? 
It's about literally coming alongside of another individual, one-on-one or, you know, small group type of a format and saying, let's learn and grow about this together if they're interested. I mean, you leave it out on the table. You just, you just kind of said that's, that's the difference between other religions, right? Third thing I've learned about telling others my faith is that I need to leave the results up to the Lord. I've said this every week. We've said this every week in this series, but we're saying it again. Don't forget it. You can't change someone's heart. I mean, I'll just tell you, that might be an absolute bomb. Yeah, you're sitting in Panera, you're like, you're doing your best, you got your pen out on the napkin, the napkin's ripping or whatever. And they're like, oh, okay, that, that's interesting. And my temptation at that point is to go like, oh, failure. I didn't close the deal. Remember that language? Got to close the deal. I like how Brian said a couple weeks ago, listen, sometimes all God might be asking you to do is plant a seed. To move somebody from a negative six in their view of Christ to a negative five. And maybe, just maybe, something like that would plant a seed that go, okay, I understand why they, what they believe is different. It's a little bit different. That's a freeing truth for me. God's just like, be available. Get ready for some rejection. Why, why do we think it's not going to happen? All my stories will be success. No, they won't. That's not why we do it. That's not why we do it. So as we close, that's Jesus' strategy. Show and tell. Will we follow it? Are we going to follow it? Or if you're following on your notes, I'll ask this. Will I make disciples by showing and telling the gospel? Let's pray. Lord, I'm totally aware of the fact that I should not be the one standing up here giving this message. Because I fall way short in this in my own life. And yet I'm also totally aware that's exactly what our enemy wants all of us to think. None of us can do this. And you know what? He's right. But you can do it. And so I want to pray for each of us in this room. That you would help us to be a church. You would help us to be disciples who follow Jesus' incredible strategy. Let us love others with the kind of love you have shown us. Not for manipulation or personal gain, but just because you love people. And let us be fearless when those opportunities come that you give us to tell our story, how you've changed us, and hopefully even to tell your story. Because it's the greatest story ever. Let us be a church who shows and tells your gospel. And everybody here hopefully agreed and said,